0: So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, seven eight five eight right, episode 354, Leslie Simon, the general manager of Garth Brooks and Trisha Yearwood's record labels. I mean, just a crazy story of how she got to where she is today, meaning she, and we'll talk about this, she was working with Chingy. For a while which I thought is a pretty good story pretty funny story funny yeah and you know she did it all and at one point she moved off and just was like I'm gonna like be a nanny was it a nanny, in oh, Ohio yeah, live, live a, a nanny yeah yeah and then she was like I got to get back it's just crazy uh, you know the life of someone in the music industry and then she talks about how she's been affected by cancer because in 2017 she was diagnosed with breast cancer so right now let me say this before this starts because I hope you listen to the whole thing it's it's a really fantastic hour here uh Leslie's being honored by the American Cancer Society, Hope Gala, in August and is currently raising money for cancer research and patient programs. You can find the link in the episode notes of this podcast. So if you hear this and you're so moved, click that to donate in her honor or in honor or memory of a loved one that has also battled cancer. It's in separate parts. I mean, individually, either one of the parts, we'll call them parts A and B, although they're together. Individually, they're both A plus. Yes. Together, it's just another level and you know she doesn't have she's not famous so i hope that doesn't discourage you from listening all the way through because it is great and you're going to take a lot from this so that's the deal this is episode 354 and she does she talks about taking cold play to a bar I like, just chilling so it's all there this is episode 354 leslie simon on the BobbyCast. as we get into a lot of your career leslie yeah. what's interesting to me is that i I wonder what you remember from the day Cam came to the studio.
1: Yeah.
0: People bring that up to me as a part of my career. And, you know, I have my story of what I tell because yeah. it was my version in my life. And you come to the studio with Cam. Yeah. And you guys have a radio single. I don't even know what it was. Thinking back. I, I got to be honest. I don't remember what it was. And it was like, hey, we're going to come. And I liked Cam. And so she, I didn't know her that well then, but yeah. I liked her from our limited time together. And Cam came in the studio, and she played the song. And I was like, man, you a know, song I really like? I said, I just love Burning House. Mm-hmm. I was like, would you, would you play it? Mm-hmm. And so she did. And that's a slow song, and she's a new artist. And obviously, that's not, it wasn't the single.
1: Oh, no. I mean, we were all so nervous about, I loved that song. But I mean, it was like, how can you put a four-minute,
0: Slow, ba-
1: like the slowest ballad yeah. on the like planet. Like you have to say
0: ballad. ballad. It's so slow. yeah. so
1: slow. And when you were like, "Hey, I love this song," I was like, "Cool, let's
0: yeah." So she played it, and then I remember playing it all day. I played it every thirty minutes on the air. Yeah, for two reasons: one, because I loved it, and two, I was kind of figuring out my place here and what kind of influence I had.
1: Yeah,
0: and I was like, "Let's just play it." And so you, this is download still, so right. it's six or seven years ago. Yeah. And so you can watch the iTunes chart, where now it takes longer because streaming numbers aren't immediate. And, yeah. And we just skyrocketed. And, and I was like, holy crap.
1: I remember, well, I remember walking out that day, and she and I were both like, wow, that
0: was really special. And do you think it was weird? Because I was like, I didn't even focus on the single. It wasn't planned. And we were fine with that. Oh, you and were? We, I always thought you guys were a little upset because you came in for something and I didn't give it to you, but not on purpose. No, no, no. I...
1: What was so exciting when we walked out of the door was we felt this energy in that interview. We felt your excitement for the song. We love the song, but it was really everything that you're told you can't take to radio on a new artist. I mean, you're constantly told we want tempo. We want something short that, you know, is going to be ear candy. And this was slow and had a big kind of powerful story behind it. So we walked out and we were both like, God, that felt so good. And we kind of went through this, what if, no, it would just never work. What if, no, you know, all of the things that we're always listening to, which are the formula for what you're supposed to do. It didn't fall into any of those things.
0: Well, and she's also a female artist, too, which is another layer. A huge layer. And it's still a layer now, but it was like especially. It was
1: was so hard. Yes. It It was so hard.
0: So everything was working against it, right? Everything. New, female slow, no reason that should have been a radio song. No
1: reason.
0: So, and my version of the story from where I lived, I play it, I play it, it's crushing, it's crushing. I talked to Rod, who runs the format, and is also one of my dearest friends. We've been together for 15 years. And I'm like, hey, uh, I've only ever seen this, like, one or two songs ever that we've done, ever. Like, Mm we've never seen a reaction like this before. And it's easier to react to a slow song because you can actually hear the words, right? So I expect reaction from powerful songs, but... I said, hey, this is a weird thing where, and I thought you guys were upset. I was like, they didn't come in and promote the song and I asked them to play it.
1: But Rod wasn't in that role yet. He was partially, he was right. getting involved, but he wasn't in the big role.
0: But I called him because yeah. I was fighting for him to get that role. Right. And I was like, hey, we did this. And we were also, in, and eventually i get to the On the Verge part, but he was very much in that conversation of On the right. Verge. Right, And I was already positioning for it because, not that I love Cam, and I later did, and not that I loved you because I didn't really know you that well yet, but I saw that as if that was a hit and I did it, that people would be like, oh, that guy kind of knows what he's talking about. Right. Because I didn't know what I was talking about, but I was just just experimenting at the time. But
1: you've always had an ear, and you had had that ear then. I remember sitting at my desk after we got back, um, and you texted me, and you texted me a screenshot of the iTunes chart, and I was like, Oh, my gosh. And right within seconds of you texting me, we were at a time that we didn't have a chairman at Sony Nashville.
0: Yeah, some dude called me named Doug or something.
1: (laughs) So Doug Morris, who who was the head of Sony in New York, called me and I answered the phone and I said, somebody from his office called because I guess right when you sent me that text, I sent it to... Somebody in New York, and I don't even remember who. I just remember Doug's office immediately called me. And Doug said, what happened today? And I said, well, Bobby wanted to. And Doug loved Burning House. And Doug was a huge part of signing Cam. I mean, he actually, I'm pretty sure he signed Cam. That's
0: what he told me yes. when I start I mean, listened to I didn't really talk much. I listened a lot. Yeah. That's what he said.
1: I mean, I, I'm like, my chemo brain is like, and so I have to go back. But he signed Cam. He called me and he said, what happened today? And I said, Bobby loves Burning House and wanted to play Burning House. And when he played Burning House, there was this immediate reaction. And this is where it is on iTunes. And so he obviously saw the iTunes number and he was like, this has to be our single.
0: He, that quick he made that decision he, based off that he one thing? He was
1: like, I think this has to be the single. And I was like we're always looking for something that's reacting. We want something that's organic and that's real and that has an instant reaction. And this song is doing that. And from that conversation, I mean, then he and I started talking on a way more regular basis. And then On The Verge came together. And that was really what jump-started her career. That song, I mean, that was a number one record that had it not been for On The Verge and the response that happened that day... Um, that instant reaction from fans, we never would have gotten enough exposure to have ever gotten a number one. I mean, and then so many things, you know, opened up for her. So many doors opened up for her. And, you know, Grammy nominations and performances on television and just all of these things opened from the power of that song in that moment. And it was one of the most special things in my career, because to have a new artist on a song like that that everybody says is not going to work, work. Um, it was really, really exciting and really one of the things I'm most proud of. But
0: I mean, I still remember it pretty vividly where she came in, she played it. I, kept, I played it a few times on the air, just being like, you guys, if you like it, you got to do something. Cause, and then my goal was like, Let's see if I can move a needle more than just downloads. And I'm on with Rod because we had just been talking about On the Verge for another artist who didn't get it, so I don't want to say who it is. Yeah. So, And On the Verge, for those that are listening, it's basically the biggest thing you can get as a new artist with a song because you just automatically get a ton of play and automatically move up the charts and automatically get a good place to get researched in a positive way because you have to have research and it has to show up. Right. And, but you get enough spins that it's real-life research.
1: Well, and most importantly... People hear it, yeah, because you're getting those spins in the daytime, and the only way fans can react to music is if they can discover it, and they have to hear it more than one time, and they have to hear it just over and over again in a in a regular rotation. Yeah. And you get that,
0: and not at two in the morning, not at two which, in the which, morning. That happens a lot of time with new artists. Like most of, of the play course. is in the overnight spot. Um, and I, I remember getting home, and it was a New York number. <laughs> And I was like, oh, I don't think it's span. So I answered, and he's like, hey, this is Doug, some, some name. I just am not connected, right? And so <laughs> he probably has a lot of people who worship, adore, and respect what he's done. Yeah. Later, I, d- I learned it. I yeah. learned, too. Right. But I was like, what up, Doug? I, d- I didn't know <laughs> who it was. And he's, he starts to tell me a story about Cam coming into Sony and yeah. him signing her and how big of a deal. So I start to put it all together. Like, this is the guy... That's Because you were at Arista, yeah. that, that, that division of Sony. Yeah,
1: exactly. So
0: I'm, in my head, I'm figuring it out as, as I'm talking to him. I'm like, oh, so Sony. The
1: big boss.
0: He's like over over everything, Everybody. all formats. Everything. And so he was super sweet. He's like, I just want to say thanks because I ain't mean, no way we were going to play this as a single because the team in Nashville had felt like we needed to give what radio usually wants. And I'm like, great, great, great. And we hang up, and he's like, this is going to be the song, and I appreciate your support. And he was also like, can I have your support more so? And I was like, yeah. I, I mean, like, I was just like, yeah, why not? <laughs> sure. I like it. <laughs> and I didn't know what to say. Yeah. And so, because it really had happened so quickly. Yeah. So I'm talking to Rod, and I'm like, hey, man, do we want a big win on this, or do we just want to grab an artist that's probably going to do pretty good anyway? Yeah. Because if we want a big win, this is, a- this is the one, because it wasn't a single, it's female <laughs> artist, such a good song it's different I said if you want the win we gotta give it to Cam yeah. and I don't really get in those conversations a whole lot I think I've only ever done it twice Other one was Chris Jansen buy me a boat and I was like this is, you gotta yeah. do it
1: because yeah. it and just this was like right after yeah buy so I'm, me a boat.
0: like I'm hot I'm, yeah. like, I'm, I'm like let's do it again <laughs> right, that's right. probably a little bit of why I kept doing the song too because I was like right. let's see if this is I, I just caught lightning in a bottle yeah Um, And I did because those songs were lightning in a bottles. Right. It was just somebody had to put them on a platform, right? Right. I didn't didn't do anything except go, hey, all my people, listen to this. Listen to this. Yeah.
1: You gave it the exposure that any artist needs. But when you have great songs like that and they get exposure, then they do what they're supposed to do. They do what they're meant to do. They react. And that's what happened. And I mean, listen, there were some program directors who were not happy. Right. They did not want to play it. And they were like, you know, why Why does it have to be this song? Why does it have to be a ballad? And we were like. And you
0: can't say it's me because other companies, <laughs> especially then. Right. Now it's a little okay because I've kind of established. But then if you were to say, Bobby did this. Right. They'd just pee on it. They well, hated it.
1: And I think, too, at the time, I mean, it was just there was so much. A female cannot come out with a ballad. And you need to listen to us. A female can't come out with a ballad. And, you know, my thought at that time was like, hey, man. If you don't hear this and you don't want to do it, no worries. Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens in your market. Let's see what happens with the streaming numbers. Let's see what happens with the download numbers. Because like you said, I mean, we people were still downloading at iTunes. Mm-hmm. And all of those things came together in such a real and passionate and big way that you really didn't have a choice. I mean, I guess you could be, you know, you could have such an ego that you decided not to share it with your audience. But Why would you do that? Right. You know, because if the people are telling you they want something, why would anybody have such a big ego that they wouldn't give it to them?
0: That was a great little snapshot of, you know, those early years for me in Nashville Mm is seeing that success because I loved to see a song that was just real good Mm -hmm. get it. Yeah. Even though it didn't match what the criteria supposedly was for a song to be real good, whatever that meant. Right. And there have been a few of those, like Eric Pasley, he don't, uh he don't love you. She don't, lo- she don't love you. That was one too, where I was like, it was slow, and mm-hmm. I was like, the song's just so good. Like, right, guys, we're, we're and so we played all the time, and it was only like a top ten, but it, it like was nominated for big awards, and I was just so proud of like fighting for that song because it was just about the song.
1: And what that's one of the things I love that you did at that time, and you still do, but not you, not as
0: much now. But yes, but you but really yeah.
1: at that time said. I don't care if this doesn't follow the formula of what we're supposed to be putting on the radio. This is an amazing song and I'm seeing, I mean, you're on the front lines. A lot of program directors are not on the front lines, but you're on the front lines because you're talking to people. You're connecting with fans. You're, you know, you're communicating with listeners every day. And so you really see how they react, whether you're seeing it on socials or, I mean, you still have people call into the studio. I mean, a lot of people don't even have phone lines to yeah. do that, but you do. And so you had the opportunity to see how the listeners and the fans reacted to Burning House and to the other songs that you launched. But you were you were playing songs that no one else would play, and you were giving them exposure and letting the fans and the listeners decide. And at the end of the day, that's what it's all about, right? I mean, like, that discovery is what it's all about, and we kind of got to a place where we I felt like we were really struggling to get anything that was different the opportunity to succeed. And you gave it the opportunity, and good gracious. I mean, there's it, a picture it was massive.
0: in the little waiting room here. It's massive. It was awesome. It was, it was awesome. awesome. And it was an awesome song. And there's a picture in the room here when you walk out it's like the waiting room for the studio, and it's Cam and Kelsey. Because Kelsey's first song was going number one. And Cam was in because she'd just been announced on The Verge. And I had him come in at the same time. Uh-huh. And they—I don't, I don't remember what they did. To, but I have a picture of that day. Because it was awesome to me. Because I used to take Kelsey out on the road and open yeah. for us. She didn't have a song or anything yet. Yeah. And I was so proud of her. She was getting her first number one. And I was so pumped for that song and Cam. And I didn't have the relationship with Cam. But I just loved the song and the idea of someone right. doing something that... Wasn't really being done, which is taking a big chance. The, the label had to take a chance. That's money. Yeah. yeah. And I was so proud of her and that song. So there's a picture of us, and I was like, this is such an awesome day for all of us.
1: Yeah. And and the format. For women in country music.
0: It was really cool. And I don't do this. It's funny. I don't do it as much anymore for a couple of reasons. One, because you don't really get the instant because it takes a while for streaming to actually right. show up. Um, three reasons. Two, I just try to be funny at this point. Right, I, you know, I, I don't have a lot of time to listen to a bunch of new music and it got to the point where I was getting people all the time yeah. begging me to play new music yeah. or listen to new music and I didn't have time to be fair. yeah. And if I couldn't be fair, I didn't really want to do it. right. And then it got to, and you'll know this because you've been in this industry for a while, it got really bad with, because I'd had a bit of success in a non-traditional way of breaking music and artists that other we'll call them gatekeepers or other places, started to get competitive with it and then hold people back that I was like, this is good. So I was like, they're going to hold people back. I'm out because I'm not going to do anything and have somebody penalize something I think is great because I don't work at that streaming service or I don't work at that. And so that started to happen and I was like, all right, I'm out. I'm going to be out for a while until it chills. And then, so now I do it in a way of, I love this artist and if they're coming to town, you should go see them. Right. Because that's how you can directly affect an artist.
1: Well, and you put the, the guy on stage the other night. <laughs> yes,
0: I love, and I still love the same thing. It's the same, but now I yeah. to just find different ways, different ways to, do, to it. do it. Yeah, our waiter at a place we eat all the time. Yeah. Never told me at I all I loved all was doing that music. story. I
1: loved seeing
0: that story. And I was like, hey, come on. So I put him up on stage. He played. It was awesome. Yeah. So, yes, I, it's, I just have to had to find a different way to do it. But I love it. I love people that are good and work hard. And are trying every way to get some sort of exposure, and then if I can, if I have a a path for them to walk down, let's go. I'll take Man, you, and you, we'll go.
1: Using your platform for that is—it's exciting that that still can happen in twenty twenty two. Different, but yes, yeah, in a different way. I mean, yes. you, whatever way you're doing it, you're using your platform to expose music that you think is great, and I think that's
0: really important. Well, I appreciate that. It's a big deal to me. It's a big deal to take somebody who's working hard and give them a shot. Yeah, and I think that's probably I go to therapy. You <laughs> know, that's my that's all that's all in that therapy part of stuff. But uh, so I was interested to hear your take on that because yeah. that was a really cool part of my Nashville time.
1: I, I'm telling you, it was one of the most, and and then in the end when it came full circle and it was the number one record, it in all of my career, it's one of the most um, special moments in time. It is one of the things that I'm most proud to have been a part of. And um, I mean, it just so many great memories that that yeah. She
0: was nominated for a Grammy for that song. That's awesome. 100%. It's awesome. One hundred percent. It's awesome. So you had Brad Paisley, and I don't remember the first time I met you. It had to be in studio because you you had. You, oh, you know,
1: I do. Okay, the first time I met you was when we had when y'all were announced here, and we had Brad do an interview. And do you remember that? It was right when you it was like was it the press conference? There was
0: a there was a really dumb press conference that I'm embarrassed that we had, but I and I didn't have. I didn't know what was going on. I was wide eyed, like what's happening. But, but wasn't a,
1: Brad there for that? Maybe. Or he was the first interview. There was something that Brad did at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And you and I met right at that time and um I mean we just didn't, we connected. Yeah.
0: And, well, cause and, you weren't like a car salesman, honestly. <laughs> no. I mean, and that's a, yeah. in, yeah. That's it. In this town, it's like trying to figure out who's a car salesman and who's not. Right. Or who you like. You know, you can have a friend that's a car salesman, but you got to be like, hey, you got to turn that crap off around me. Right. And, right. And that's cool, too, as long as they turn it off around you. Right. And I've got that relationship with, with a few people now where it's like, I get it, but don't do that here. Don't do right. that with me. We're an a whole, this is life. Life right. Life, Um But, I don't, you know, it's interesting with Brad early on. I went to Brad. I wrote the, about this in my first book. I went to Brad's house and he was like, hey, come outside for a minute and I was like, is he going to shoot me? What's happening? What are these country, <laughs> country music people? And so I was walking with them, and it was cool to me because I grew up listening, obviously, to a lot of country music in Arkansas. Like It was mm-hmm. the central part of my music until I got to be a teenager, and it turned a little more alternative and yeah. and uh, hip-hop. But I remember Brad, because I remember his early, early part, right before I checked out for a little bit in yeah. that, that part of country music. And so I, was, I thought it was real cool that he was walking, and he was like, hey, man, they ain't going to like you here. And a little bit, I was taken aback because I thought he was maybe agreeing with them, or maybe secretly, like I don't know, showing his do- how dominant he was. I don't, I didn't know, but it was weird. And I was like, "What do you mean?" And he goes, "I'll tell you from experience." And that's when I knew he was kind of giving me some advice. Yeah, he was like, "They didn't like me here for a long time because I was quirky and I did some funny stuff." And I, did, he goes, "Listen, I love country music. Nobody doubts that, but..." There were a lot of people here that was like, that guy ain't for here. And he said, you're going to get that a lot. And I remember going, and this is before I really got that. Yeah. Because I did. Boy, did I for two or three years. And I remember going, really? But I always held that. Like, it, it's very precious to me because. It was a real
1: moment yeah, he two was two people.
0: Yeah, he didn't have to do that. And he was like, they ain't going to like you, and it's going to suck for you for a little bit. And he was right.
1: <laughs> well, I'll tell you, I mean, like, he's one of my favorite humans in the world. I mean, he's a dear friend, and I loved working with him. But, you know, one thing that I always felt about Brad is when he wanted to sit down and have a conversation with you, it was a person-to-person conversation. He wasn't, there wasn't some other intention that you didn't know about. I mean, he really wanted to have a conversation with you about, you know, whatever it is y'all were talking about. And so him having you out there and, and having that discussion with you was a real moment of connection. And there was something that, obviously, you guys connected on, very early that y'all had a lot in common and I think it was it was really cool to watch y'all's relationship. Yeah.
0: It was very special and you know I got really I isolated myself a lot for a few years because I just felt like people were just taking their shots but I always remembered that and really appreciated that from Brad because he superstar he didn't have to do that superstar he he didn't have to do anything
1: and you know what people did that for him when he started and then he has I watched him do that with other artists and other people in this industry and it's um It's really special. I mean, it's one of the things in this industry that I love so much is that there are these real people who want to connect with real people and then also want to help grow these relationships in this industry together. And it's really fun when it's a partnership and we all work together. Um, And I think he really – y'all made that connection early, and, and I loved watching that relationship.
0: This festival and concert season will be all about the Boots.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: com. .com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food. So the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785-833. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785 I was talking to Amy today. and she, Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, yeah. for those, if you're just, Leslie and I are close, we're friends, like real life friends. Yeah. Um, but we met through a professional environment and we kind of, you know, morphed into that. And uh, you and Amy are close. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy and I are close. So, you know, it just it's a love triangle. I'll say it.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, so Amy was like, she said something about Chingy this morning. <laughs> And I was like, where did Chingy come from? Because I know Chingy, Holiday Inn right there, all the... <laughs> and she was like, well, this is Leslie Monday night. Yeah. And she said, Leslie used to work Chingy records or something. And I was like, what? So did you work in hip hop or pop?
1: I worked in pop. I was at Capitol Pop before I came to Arista.
0: Wait, what, where?
1: And I was based out of Atlanta. So I was, at the time, I was a Southeastern Regional. So, you know, back in the day, there were 10 and 12... 14 locals that worked records across the country for one imprint.
0: And by that, you mean, if we simplify it a little bit, you had an area and you stayed close with all the radio stations in your, in your localish area. Correct. Got it.
1: And so I covered the Southeast out of Atlanta, um, which was basically Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee, um, Louisiana, Mississippi was basically my territory. And I, I mean, it when you're in pop, you work every pop format. So you're working hip-hop, alternative, rock.
0: Hot AC. Hot yeah. AC, yeah.
1: pop. I mean, I want to say I had seven formats wow. and, I mean, 15 records at a time. Very different than, and this is, you know, this is how I kind of was growing up in the promotion world before I came back into country. And um, my very first artist I ever worked to radio, my very first song was Coldplay, In My Place. Mm. It was my first day of work was the ad day for Coldplay in my place. Um, I, I, you know, I didn't really know hip hop music, but I lived in Atlanta, which is like the center of hip hop music. And, and I had to represent those artists. And so I really started to learn the music, but I mean, I'm from Montgomery, Alabama and I'm, you know, most of the one syllable words I say come out and especially, you know, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, they came out in two, three, four syllables. <laughs> so um, I worked Chingy right there, but obviously there does not even sound normal coming out of my mouth. So when I would call my program directors to talk to them about this new artist, Chingy, and y'all, that song was such an infectious record. Massive. I mean...
0: Yeah. I, I hear it once in on my head all day. Still. Still. The- this long.
1: So I would call to work the record and I'd say, Hey, I'm, you know, this is Leslie with Capital, calling to talk to you about Chingy right there. And they were like, (laughs) Leslie, the song is right there. I'm like, I know that the song is called right there, but if I said right there, don't you actually think it's ridiculous and you don't really take me seriously? I mean, let me just call it right there. And then I'm a huge numbers geek. Um, so I'd always have like the stats and the numbers and all the things that were going on with this song, but I had it in my Southern accent, in my seersucker pants, with my bows in my hair, working right there. And these people thought they all thought I was hysterical
0: because well, the record was massive. You did it, was massive. You did it. You made it a hit. I, I made it a hit. That's it, so you.
1: The first time Chingy, I took Jingy to radio. It was to the beat which was the huge hip-hop station in Atlanta. And we met outside of the radio station, and he, you know, gets out of the car, and he's got, like, this posse of, like, 12 people. And I'm like, Chingy. Like, the studio where you're going to go cut these liners is the size of a closet. We cannot take 10 people downstairs. You get to pick one person to come downstairs with you. And he's like, no, they're all coming. I was like, they can't fit in the closet. <laughs> Everybody's going to sit upstairs. We're taking one person. But, They all thought I was so funny because they were not used to having this, like, really Southern, strong Southern woman who, you know, if you thought that you could tell me how it was going to go, then I was going to stand up and go, "Uh uh-uh. And I'd get my little Southern accent on and kind of slow it down, and um, they all thought I was hysterical. And I also wore—so Chingy gave us all these belts— that literally the belt buckle was this big and it said Chingy on it. So when I took him to the radio station, I had on my cute little seven jeans with my seersucker top and my bows in my hair and my Chingy belt. And Rich Money, who was one of the guys in his his group that would was would be on stage with him when he performed, he was like, Chingy, she is representing. And I was like, I'm what? I had never heard that word before. I was like, what does that mean? And I didn't see him pointing to my belt. I was like... And I'm you know, sitting there thinking he's talking about something that I'm wearing or whatever, but not thinking it's the belt. Forgot I had the belt on. He's like, look, she's representing. And I was like, what does that mean? <laughs> and they all started laughing. And they're like, she's representing. And I looked down. And I was like, oh, my belt. I'm representing you. I
0: have the, I'm-, <laughs> I'm, I'm representing you. That's funny. <laughs> and
1: they were like, oh, my gosh. But I loved them. And they, these guys were great. And it was super fun to work. Two songs from a brand new artist that were so massive. I mean, I still, like you said about right there, with Holiday Inn, when that's when I hear the word Holiday Inn, Me too. I go straight to what you doing? Nothing chilling at yeah. the Holiday, holiday Inn. Inn.
0: Yeah. So you worked in we'll call it pop. There's a lot of little formats there. Yeah. How long did you do that in Atlanta?
1: I was only in Atlanta for two years and then I came back here to do country again. So I'd started in country. Um I actually started as a temp at RCA Label Group.
0: Like a like a uh, administration
1: yeah. temp? like an assistant. Were, I was, you,
0: were you doing that because you knew you wanted to get into it, or were you just looking for a job at that time?
1: I knew I wanted to get into the music business. So I, I started, I was living in Nashville, and I actually worked for the temp company doing marketing. And my first year out of college, I'll move through this really quickly. It's just kind of funny. My dad was like, okay, you, you got four years in a day. Your four years is about up. Then that means you have to have a job. And I was like, "Well, okay." And he's like, "If you don't have a job by the time you graduate, you're moving back to Montgomery, and I'm going to help you find a job." And all I could think is, "I don't want to move back to Montgomery, Alabama." I mean, I want to go spread my wings and figure out who I am. And so, um, long story short, I ended up getting a job as a live-in nanny for a race car driver. Um A famous one? Uh he's a top fuel driver. Great top fuel driver. His name is Jim Head. So I moved to Columbus, Ohio.
0: Oh, he didn't live here? No.
1: My dad was like, you're not going to go live with some family we don't know. And long story short, his uncle happened to live in Montgomery, Alabama, and was in the Chamber of Commerce and Rotary Club and did all of this philanthropic stuff with my dad. And so my dad knew him, and he was like, okay, well, he's a great man, and if this is his nephew, then he's a great man too. And yes, you can take the job. I was like, well, and I'm also 22 years old. And so I can kind of take the job if I want to. So long story short, I went to go live on this racing circuit and living in that. I mean, so we were races every weekend. I think we had 32 races in that year, living in that sports world. I kind of knew I wanted to be in sports and, and or entertainment. Um, I grew up in Montgomery, but I, my family's from Nashville. My mother grew up in Nashville. I had all these aunts and uncles in Nashville. So I called my aunt and uncle, and I was like, can I come live with y'all, and can you help me find a job when I finished the year with as a nanny? And so I came here and went to work for a temp agency. And when they were pl- – RCA was one of our clients. And so I actually went to the owner of the company after, you know, six or eight months, and, and I said, I really want to work in the music business and I just wanted to see if y'all would consider placing me if there's an opening at RCA. And he was like, of course. And so, you know, you've got to do the work when you get in there. But we'll, we'll, if you want to be a temp, we'll get you in the door. And so I went to be a temp for um, the head of sales at RCA. And they had had a lot of different assistants kind of come through that desk. And I was there for two weeks as a temp and they hired me full time. and That
0: quick? Mm-hmm.
1: And Joe Glante. Was it were
0: you wearing a chingy chingy belt?
1: I was not wearing the chingy uh, okay. belt. That was pre chingy.
0: Uh, Joe Glante was here yesterday.
1: I know. I actually um I just had coffee with a friend and she was telling me that Joe was over here. So I can't wait to hear that podcast. He's one of my mentors and one of my favorite human really? beings um on the planet. And I mean he really taught me so much about this business. Um so, did, you,
0: did whomever you were with talk to him after he was here. I wonder how people feel. when they do. Do they have good experience here? Do we know?
1: I don't know if she talked to him after. She just said, "Oh, because I said I'm I'm headed over to do Bobby's podcast," and she goes, "Oh my gosh, Joe just did it yesterday," and I was like, "That's so cool!" It was awesome. He's amazing. He,
0: he, he's just done everything, and
1: he's done. He's been so influential in country music. I mean, and he really has been so important in so many different executives and artist careers. I mean, he really was is still one of the greatest mentors um, that that you could have. Did he move you
0: up? Like, how did that?
1: Well, I mean, I worked for people under him who moved me up. But, I mean, you know, I've always had a really strong work ethic, and I'm very driven, and I'm also insanely organized. And so I kind of don't end my day until everything is done. And so when I was at at Sony at RCA, it ended up becoming Sony, but when I was at RCA at the time— I worked in the sales department, and I ran all of the sales reports. Well, I mean, y'all back then we barely had email. I mean, we didn't have cell phones really, so I would have to get in on Wednesday morning, which was when all the sales numbers came out. I would show up to the office at like four in the morning because I'd have to run all these programs out of DOS. Do y'all even do y'all even? Know I what do DOS barely. Is? Yeah, y'all, you do not know what DOS is, <laughs> so I'd have to like run these all of SoundScan out of DOS, and then. Move it into an Excel spreadsheet. And literally, I mean, it's a lot of, and I don't want to say labor intensive, but I mean, it just takes time. Sure. Um, so I did that, and then I put the reports together for all of the executives. And so to get everybody's report together for their meeting at 9 a.m., I mean, I'd get into the office at 4, 4.30 in the morning so that when they all got into the office at, you know, 8.30 for their 9 a.m. meeting, all of their reports Their sales reports were there. And my degree was in accounting, so I was always just a numbers person. And I would dig through all of the numbers because I was just interested. I wanted to know what made things sell. Why did certain things sell when other things weren't selling? How was it marketed? And so I just started really paying attention to all of the reports I was focused on to try to understand not just to give them the report, but to understand the
0: why behind it. So uh, when you moved from being a temp, what was the job you took or they, get, they offered you?
1: I was the assistant to the head of sales.
0: So what do you, okay, that's still a numbers. Very numbers right, oriented, right. yeah. So from that then, what did you do?
1: So then I actually ended up leaving and I went to work for Mindy McCready, who was one of our artists.
0: And what did you do for her?
1: Um, I started as her personal assistant and then I became her tour manager.
0: You were a tour manager. I was
1: like twenty-five years old.
0: That's a that's a, a difficult, stressful.
1: It is traveling. And, and we were a baby act. We were we opened for at the time we were going back and forth between Tim McGraw, George Strait, and Alan Jackson. And I literally like showed up. The, I was like, "How did I become the tour?" I think the tour manager quit. And then she was like, "Oh, Leslie's going to be the tour manager." And then her manager called and said, "This is a terrible idea. You are." basically a child and you have no idea what you're doing and I was like I completely agree with you I have no idea what I'm doing and he was like well I'm going to go out on the road with you for a weekend and I'm going to teach you and and so he you know taught me what he could literally on the bus and then I remember getting to um the first show was Alan Jackson and Tony Stevens was Alan's tour manager at the time and I walked into the production office and I was like hi my name is Leslie, and. Mindy's tour manager and I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing. And so, if you would just teach me, I promise I will make this as easy on you as possible. And I did the same with Tim's tour manager, and they were just so gracious and wonderful, and kind of taught me the road side of the business and the touring side of the business, which is very different
0: than the label side. Yeah, and it's interesting. What's really cool is you had—I mean, you had to learn a skill, and at the time, it's probably difficult. I'm like, well, this is really hard. But then you had an element that you knew with your artists that other people doing your position didn't know because they hadn't probably been on the ground in that in that form. I right. was with um, my booking agent, is Brad Bissell at CAA, yeah, and his wife Sally, who's run the Opry. And mm-hmm. I was with them, but they came out to my show that I did uh, at CMA Theater. And afterward, Brad, was like, you know, what's really interesting about your career is like you can relate to people on so many levels. He said, like, you know, you've you tore. Yeah. You know how hard it is. And how yeah. and when you get an artist and it's coming into your show to do an interview, and most people are like, oh, wow. It's like, you can talk about catering. Right. Or
1: what it's like to be in a different hotel and wake up and not know what city you're in and forget or what a, or, yeah. sure,
0: Or what a promoter is. Right. Or not getting your merch money or, right. you know, all this. All the things. And he's like, that's cool. And I was like, it was hard. I didn't want to do it. Yeah. Like, I had to learn because I wasn't – I wasn't good at other stuff. Right. So I had to find a different way to actually get to where I was, which is right. doing all these crazy things. But now it's like a superpower I have. Right. Same for you. You were a tour manager for an artist. As a baby. <laughs> but you understood how hard it was to travel. When oh, And you yeah. had to sl- sleeping, always difficult. Yeah. Comfortability, not a thing, especially as a baby artist. No money. No. No yeah. money. Yeah. You're living on. And yeah. so to have that skill that you earned – I just think that would be so valuable. It was
1: a it was a really wonderful experience, and and it's all very humbling. I mean, anytime you whatever you start doing in this business is humbling because there are so many people who have come before you that know more than you know. And so I just always felt like instead of walking in and pretending like I knew something that I didn't, um, and and also there are a lot of people like they need you to be efficient and to not get in the way of their job. Yeah. And so what I wanted to know is how do I come in and be the tour manager for the support act and do what y'all need us to do out here and not get in your way and also look out for my artists at the same time. And so and I was young. I mean, I you know, I didn't have a lot of world experience, much less working experience, um, but it was a great opportunity. I mean,
0: I, it sucked. I know it sucked. it had to suck. That, it sucks. That's a, that's, a, that's a hard, sucky job. And I mean that but in the best But it was also way. fun because
1: I was a kid I and I it. was seeing the world. When I say valuable,
0: I don't mean valuable like it was the most amazing thing. I feel bad for my tour manager. And you know what? I pay them pretty good. And, yeah. But I also know they're dealing with me and my schedule. And I might need a lemon. Right. Before I'm, because my throat's sore. Right. They not only have to deal with, okay, who, this is the person doing the merch. Okay, this is the promoter. I got to meet with them after the show to clear this. I got to give Bobby a freaking lemon. I got to make sure the lights, make, make sure people don't have their salt. It's everything,
1: and you got the band, and you've got to, you know, help. You're you're also representing the band, and so they have needs as well. I mean, um, it's my only it was point. a Great is, experience, yes,
0: it's a great experience, but it's very difficult. And that is like to have empathy,
1: yeah, for
0: that. Like that's a, that's awesome. That's yeah. so it was fun. You do that. Where, where do you, do you get back in the label business after that?
1: Yeah, I ended up getting back. I mean, I did some other things and kind of stepped away, and then I came back in it, and then um, I started. So I, the next thing I did in the industry was promotion for Capital, and um, I was hired by um, our president was in LA, so I was hired out of the LA office and for the Atlanta job. Um, like
0: as a regional again, where you're representing say, uh, area of stations.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, so that's where I where I represented Coldplay and. Oh, Changi. so that's where you went. Yes, into that, that was room. my first. Okay. Promotion job. So when you want to, and I didn't to- know anything about promotion at the time. By the way, I didn't know. I, I didn't even really know that. was like, "That's your thing." Record reps what? called a radio station yeah. to ask the program director to play the music, and so I, you know, believe it or not, there's a lot of numbers that go into promotion as well. And you're looking at um, not only where a song is on the charts, but you know which markets generate more audience and how to drive listenership, um, how to drive people to play the song more so that you have more people listening to the song. And then when you're going into a market, you obviously want that song to be really exposed in a in a very strong way so that the, when the artist is on stage, the fans, A, they're buying the tickets and then they're singing along. So um, just really learned that side of the business and it really fit my personality i loved it i mean it, it was a lot of fun and and it was fun to work you know this variety of artists i mean Kylie minogue um coldplay i mean i adored coldplay it was there f- really i mean so i worked Russia blood it's
0: their first big one yeah yeah. yeah. and in
1: my place was the first single off of that and then they came in for the tour no wait it
0: wasn't the first one yellow that record before that was that was
1: the album before i didn't yes. work that okay, album yeah, yeah, yeah. so i worked Russia blood and um I mean, I feel like they started the U.S. tour, I mean, pretty close to the beginning. They did Atlanta, and Elton John came out and played with them in Atlanta, and then they did um, the Ryman, and so I brought them to the Ryman, and they wanted to go out after y'all, and nobody knew who they were. So, well, literally, we walked across the street from the Ryman to this bar called Rippy's, and the guy that owned the bar shut it down and let them and the band, the music was the opening act, just play all night long. We had the best time. And they they love music so much that they wanted to stay another night before they went on to the, the next venue. And so they were like, take us out to hear Bluegrass. And so we took them to the station in, and they got to hear Sam Bush play. And, um, they you know, these were just young guys from And no one England. knew them
0: but knew them to look because you knew their music. Because, knew their music yes, but
1: didn't. Yes. I mean, People, they weren't as recognizable when they walked off of the stage. At the, I mean, now they can't walk outside, but um, they weren't as recognizable then. Because
0: Chris Martin was, when he, I remember the Yellow video. I, that shook my whole world when I saw him walking on the beach. with, And I was like, this is the greatest song and the greatest video I've ever seen. And he's not doing anything but walking and being sad. And I was like, this is changing. This is it. <laughs> and so I was, and still, I love Coldplay. I like their piano slow stuff more than their oops, oops, oops. I like the version of the yeah. instrument. Coldplay. Some people like the new version. But I love Coldplay, but it's cool that they just wanted to hang.
1: They just want in to hang and hear that's cool. music. Yeah. And, I mean, they're just great people. They're great guys. I mean, and, you know, the that album, I mean, think about the great songs on that album, Clocks, The Scientist. What a brilliant song. I mean, and then Willie Nelson covers The Scientist. And Chris's version of The Scientist and Willie's version of The Scientist are so different but both so poignant. I mean, that's just love of music. So...
0: Plus, direct consumer pricing keeps the value on your feet, the money in your pocket. So, stop by your local Tecova store. Have a complimentary drink. Shop the new styles. You like to smell of leather or no? I love it. Yeah, that's what the whole store basically is—fresh leather. Yep. Friendly staff, or you like the smell of staff? <laughs> I don't know.
1: I guess I'm sure they smell good there.
0: Many stores have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. What a gift too! Regular live music and events. There is no in-store experience like this. If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. T E C O V A S.com. T E C O
1: V A S. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, to take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in Hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. So... Join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to 785 It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to 785 you were at I also remember you with Carrie
1: yeah
0: right you were with yeah. Carrie right at, yep. at Arista is Arista still a thing yeah it, it is yeah I mean I have no connection to labels at all anymore yeah
1: so Air, uh, Old Dominion is on Arista I know them um, and I gotta be honest I can't remember yeah I, don't, I mean I, I don't, I don't know who's on what Saturday. labels either yeah. because
0: I was talking to you before labels don't come in the studio anymore they, they're right. in the green room because it was just a mess and right I was like I want to do a show and have connection with me and the artist and But if the label's in there, it's just like it's sometimes yeah. Yeah. It's a little different. So you're at Arista and I remember there was like a big layoff or something. Like uh, some people left and
1: so I was there for thirteen years. Um and then I was a long time for one job. I started as a regional and then, you know, became the national and then I became the VP and um I mean I gosh, when I started, I mean it was I had Brooks and Dunn and Alan Jackson and Brad and um, Keith Anderson, Phil Vassar, then Carrie, um, Cam. Cam, Lanco
0: at the beginning, maybe? At
1: the beginning of Lanco. Yeah. And then, you know, as happens in um, this world when you have changes at the top, chairman changes.
0: That's what it was. It was yeah. a big change, and they brought in other their own people-ish yeah. type thing. I and remember then, being like, what? And I hated her. After that, I was like, no more.
1: Well, I mean, listen, when, when I left, we were the number two label Um, the number two imprint in country music. So, I mean, we had a a ton of success and it was a lot of fun. But then, you know, everything in life happens for a reason. I'm a huge believer in that. And I'm also a huge believer in one door closing is just making room in your life and space for another door opening. And right when I, so I left Sony and Arista in February of 2016. And I mean, I want to say it was like, Either right before that or right after, Garth announced he was staffing the imprint. And um, I remember you saying, "I'm looking
0: for Garth." Yeah, and I was like, "Brooks," <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, "Yeah." Yeah. And so, how does that have? And you you're still with Garth, yes, right? right.
1: And Tricia. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So, uh, how does how does that conversation? Does he call you? Does
1: so? Mandy McCormick um, was working. Was the first person that went over to work directly with he and Trisha, and so she was really helping him staff it. She called me, and we had a couple conversations, and then she said um, he's playing the show at the Ryman, and we want you to come up and see it. And it was his first time to play the Ryman, y'all, which I did not ever. Uh, yeah.
0: Oh, ever. I thought ever. it was like his first time to play the Ryman in like twenty years. No, it was his oh, I didn't. I didn't know, know that. And he get too big. He quick.
1: I, I think he just he all of a sudden he had not played the Ryman, and then he went out and was playing these huge shows. And I don't actually remember the exact story of why he didn't play it until that moment. But it was, when I say it was one of the most special music experiences of my life, my husband came up here with me. We went to the show. And at one point in the show, I had tears coming down my face. And my husband looked at me and he's like, that's a visceral reaction to music. And if you are emotional in a happy way, not a sad way. I mean, it was just so... It was such a beautiful performance. I mean, here he's playing these covers at the beginning with the with the curtains closed on the stage of the Ramen and he's playing George Jones and Johnny Cash, and just this, you're like, oh, my gosh. I mean, you're listening to the, this amazing music and from him, and then he and Trisha come on stage mm-hmm. together. It was just, it was really a powerful night, and um, the next day, I remember... My husband looking at Mandy and is like, she's going to do this. And then he called me that night, the next night, and we just had a conversation about, you know, kind of where I was in my life and what I wanted to do and what he wanted to do with the label and, you know, where he was. And um, at that point, I was like, I'm in.
0: It's weird when Garth calls on the phone. (laughs) It's weird because you're just like, that's crazy. Garth's voice is coming out of that little phone right there.
1: And he's just this.
0: Kindest. Yeah, that's it's weird too. He's
1: so yeah. kind and he's so gracious and he's so, he listens better than anybody I know. I mean, like he literally listens to the words coming out of your mouth and what you're saying. And some people are thinking about what they're going to say next when they're talking to somebody. He doesn't. I
0: agree. It's Again, I, I keep using the word weird because you just don't expect a massive star. The to biggest have, star to in to, the world. To have time. Yeah. Or to care.
1: And he all that. He makes the time Mm -hmm. and he cares. He really cares about human beings. And I mean, Trisha is the same. She's one of my very best friends. I just absolutely adore them. And and I have to say, I mean, you know, I started in September of 2016. And, you know, here I was the GM of their labels and we're launching this new team and this new music and and six months after I started I was diagnosed with cancer and both of them immediately went into whatever you need every single time that I called him and I was like okay I want to really not focus on the cancer I want to feel normal and focus on work and so you know after I had the surgery and and I'd kind of get over the hump of chemo I would call him to talk about work and he'd answer the phone and he'd me. I mean, I'd go, hey, how you doing? I want to talk to you about, it. and I'd just like dive in, and he's like, whoa, how you doing? And I'm like, I'm good. How are you feeling? And he would always stop and want to talk about how I was, and I felt like with both he and Trisha, my health and where I was, not just physically, but I mean, you know, this kind of a disease is it's emotionally trying as well. And they were always so concerned about me and my family and how we were doing in the juggle. And I, and I remember saying to him, I need to work. I need to feel normal and working makes me feel normal. And he was like, you know, you can work as much as you want to, but you also need to take care of yourself.
0: You felt supported Personally and professionally, which makes you feel even more supported personally.
1: Exactly. I mean, and I don't, I think it's really difficult in a corporate environment, even though a lot of corporations are very supportive, especially of people with, you know, health situations. But in this industry, it's really hard to have that much, love and support around you. I mean, I remember after we kind of got over the hump and it was now it's two thousand and eighteen. And I was up at the house one day and um and I said to him, I you know, we were just talking about the whole journey and I said, and I you know, here I'm on the other side of it. I have no cancer in my body, um, my hair's growing back. And and he was like, So how you know, you've have been through a lot and you've been so strong through all of it. And I I remember saying to him, as difficult as this diagnosis is and going through all of this, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened in my life. And, um, I thought that then in 2018. And then as you know, it came back, um, actually right after your wedding. Oh
0: yeah, I remember the, it, you told me the wedding was like one of the last time you didn't know.
1: It was the last celebration I had that I didn't know. Um, I went, I had my doctor's appointment on Tuesday after your wedding. And, um, and we found out that it's metastatic stage four, you know, this is the rest of my life. And it has been the, as trying and and difficult as it is, it's been the greatest thing to happen in my life because of the perspective shift that happens when your mortality is staring you in the face. Um, you just, you have a choice to make and you can either be a victim or you can live really intentionally. And you can really celebrate your life and the people in your life, and you can really decide what what matters now. Like, what am I going to do that's going to matter? Because, I, you know, my life expectancy is not the same as any of y'all's, and um, I've come to terms with that. I've processed that, and so what you know, what I told my doctors it's just recently. We found out a couple of weeks ago that it is metastasized into my brain, which is the worst possible news that you can get. Um, but at the same time, this new drug was just released. That is really, you know, this could be a game changer for me. It could take my life expectancy from two years to, you know, we don't know how long because it's a new drug. Um, so it it makes you look at life in a completely different way. It makes you, every decision you make, every, what you do when you wake up in the morning, um, you know, kindness and love and joy. I've been so overwhelmed with this just gratitude for the number of people that have reached out. I mean, the first time around, you guys sent me this whole box full of pimp and joy stuff and all I wanted to do during the first Battle was to run this race. That was like the one thing that I was like, if I can just run this 10K on Thanksgiving Day um, while I'm going through chemo, it's proving to me that I'm still physically able. And so, my sister and um, my stepchildren's mom um, and her wife, we all went out and ran this together. And we all, I've had everybody in Pimp and Joy. So, everybody on our crew was in like a Pimp and Joy shirt or a Pimp and Joy sweatshirt, Pimp and Joy hat. And we all went out and you know, we were in our pimp and joy. And so you you feel this love and gratitude that actually is out there for all of us to feel. You don't have to just have a disease to feel that. But a lot of times we get caught up in negativity and just stuff and worry in the world. And um, when you kind of let those things go and you focus on um, spending really good quality time with people and sharing love and receiving love and and then also you know, right now we're in this phase of bucket list, as I told you earlier. And, you know, Robert and I are let's do everything that that we ever wanted to do and, you know, spend quality time with people. And, you know, I'm I'm sitting here with two bosses that not only help me do that, but um, they're not just bosses, they're m- my friends and they're a real part of um helping me have these experiences that there's nothing I there's no way for me to even use I don't have the words to express the gratitude for that kind of love and um, compassion
0: If you can't make it to a store, just visit tacovas.com. T E C O V A S.com. T E
1: C O V A S. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Tacovas.com. Find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the kids at St. Jude. St. Jude's been leading the way in the world's best survival rates for some of the most aggressive forms of childhood cancer. Your support means that families never get a bill from St. Jude for treatment or travel or housing or food so the families can focus on helping their child live. And that really hits home for me because I've been to St. Jude many times. I've hung out with the kids, played music for the kids. I was in the hospital a lot as a kid. Now, I didn't have cancer, but if it wasn't for people stepping up, I don't know that I would have been able to go and stay in the hospital and be taken care of. So that's why we do this, take care of others. You can help St. Jude stop childhood cancer by becoming a partner in Hope. When you do this, you'll get this awesome new, this shirt saves lives shirt. So. Join all the doctors and researchers, you know, and me in this fight and just text the word Bobby to seven eight five eight three three. It's only six numbers, but text the word Bobby to seven eight five eight three three. I remember at the wedding and, you know, things are running 10,000 miles an hour at a wedding because it's just everybody <laughs> that you care about and everybody wants to hang out and say yeah. a few things. And I remember, and I love your husband too, just, <laughs> just the best and- you know, one of the only people that I've let dominate me in the fight for the check, which I'm like, "All right, you can have it. I get it. I'm in your hometown. You can pay for it." When we went to Alabama. We had, you know, had dinner. Yeah, with you guys. we had dinner. And so, um, I remember spending time there. And um, I, I guess you had spent some time with Gary Levox in my wedding. I don't yes. know.
1: Yes. Had- oh my God, we had so much fun. We sat next to each other at
0: dinner. And I remember him calling, and somehow. He had heard your story or I don't know how he caught it somewhere else yeah. because obviously at the wedding, yeah. you didn't even know the cancer would come back. No. And so you're with Gary, Gary LaVox, who's the lead singer Rascal Flats. And uh, Gary's just lovely and is like a ball of it's energy terrible. and just, yes, yeah, just and- on. He's just on. And it's and so I remember he he called me and he was like, hey, so your friend, Leslie, I spent a lot of time with her at the wedding. Um. I don't know if he knew you had cancer. He just wanted to reach out to you. I don't remember what version it was, but I remember reaching out to you. I was like, "Hey, can I give Gary your, (laughs) you know, your number?" Yeah. And Gary called you, and I think you told me that you guys had just prayed.
1: He's, I mean, just super kind.
0: Yeah. About you know what you were going through, and I I thought one the fact that he had such a a night a you know this this gathering of moments with you through one night that he was like I need to get in touch with her because that needs to be my friend. Aww. First of all I was like I get it like that, she, that she's my friend like I understand why. Yeah. And then secondly because I think he said do you care if I call her and just pray with her?
1: Yeah, that's what, when you when you called me that's what you said he just wants to pray with you. So he must I was like honey I got I, I'm taking all yeah. of the prayers and anybody who wants to pray with me I mean
0: I'm I'm in. So he must have known somehow. Yeah. But I and I just thought, man, look at Gary. That's awesome.
1: You know, and you know what I think happened. I think when I started, I'm I'm so you know I'm like the worst person at social media. Um, A, I'm just not good at it, and B, I'm pretty private, so I don't share a whole lot. But I had this moment sitting in the chemo chair on October 1st and starting this horrific Adriamycin, which is Red Devil chemo, and I was like, this is I have to tell people what's happening because people need to be self-aware and do self-checks. There are things that can save your life if you find cancer early. And so I just felt really compelled to write my story in a social media post, which is about is not me is I mean, it was kind of shocking. And I think that somehow he saw that whether it was yeah, through um, a mutual friend or Um, but it was really sweet. I mean, to me, somebody offering to come and pray with you and take, it's one of the, just the most beautiful things that happens when you're going through something traumatic. If you take a step back and you just look at what is happening in the moment, people wanting to take time out of their schedule to pray for you, to check on you, to, um, just let you know that they're sending love. I mean, those little things are huge, and it's really how we should all try to live our lives. I mean, one thing that I try to do now is when somebody comes to my mind, there's a reason that person came to my mind send them a text or a note and just say, You know, I love you, I'm thinking about you, you just came to my mind, I just wanted to say hey. And I used to like, I don't want to bother people, I think
0: that now, honestly. I mean, I'm like, I don't want like, to.
1: But I have, this experience has made me go, when, when I feel that way, I look at my phone and, you know, yesterday, out of the blue, I had six or seven friends just reach out that I'm not talking to on a daily basis. Hey, I just want you to know I'm thinking about you today. How's it going? When's your next treatment? And it just fills you, fills you with love and joy. And, and then, as you guys always say, with pimp and joy, what joy forces joy and forces joy and forces joy. And the more that we spread that, um, I mean, listen, there's enough bad news on the television and in the news that if we just are all trying to do our little part to spread kindness, joy, love, um, it's really life-changing.
0: The last thing I want to ask you about is Bay, or or Laura, Slater, Ray, Ray, my producer, my friend's wife. How? Because she got diagnosed yes. breast cancer as, where, yeah. as well. <clears throat> and obviously, she, she loves you. But you guys, I don't know if you knew each other before. We
1: did not. So, Trisha called me and said, I have a friend who was just diagnosed. and She's really young. And she said, would you talk to her? And I was like, absolutely. Well, I had my wig made at this fabulous place here. Because the first time I went through it, losing my hair was incredibly traumatic and so trisha introduced me to this company here who made wigs and and trisha had found them when they made her mom's wig when her mom had had cancer so i had gone there and they made this gorgeous wig for me and so um bay was going to have an appointment at this place and so i flew up here and Mm. met her and went to her appointment with her and then we just sat down afterwards and i talked to her about my experience and all the things that I'd been through, the good, the bad, the ugly, but really the good and the love and the joy that you have to keep going while you're going. You have to keep perpetuating while you're in this process. And we instantly connected. And then she, what a rock star. I mean, she shared her journey to so many people and has had such a great impact on women who are going through this. So, It started, you know, with her sharing on social media and then she started a blog and she really has been so impactful in so many women's treatment and discovery of the disease. And then she actually asked me to write my story um, in her blog and I was like, oh, my gosh, like, I don't really do this. I'm super private. And then I was like, no, I need to do this. So this was before mine came back. And so um, I wrote for her for her blog she's the only person i think that at the time could have gotten me to do that um and you know we've just been friends ever since and she's followed my journey and i've followed hers and we're you know we've just been friends there's it's a really interesting thing with when this happens there's a lot of women who have been through it there's a lot of people that have cancer but you all of a sudden you're in the club that nobody wants to be in and when you get invited into this club that nobody wants to be in you really want to help love and nurture the other people in it. Um, And so, I mean, right now I have my friend Clea from the home edit. She's going through it as well. And, you know, we have houses in Florida that in the same community, and we're sitting at the pool one day and she's sitting next to me. And I was like, I'm Leslie. I'm going through the same thing you're going through. And we sat and talked for, you know, three hours. And we just, you really try to, love and support people through it and be there because there's like anything, you can't really understand what it's like as much as, I mean, my husband is my rock, my family, my friends, you know, there's so many people that are here to support me, but the women who are going through it, there's just a different reality that we know that you can't know unless you're going through it. And so there's something super special about the relationships that form because of this, and it's one of the things that I'm forever grateful for, and Bay and I have that, and I'm really grateful for it, and she is just, y'all know, this ball of energy and light and fun and funny, and I'm super grateful for her.
0: Yeah, she admires you so much. Heck, so do I. Mm-hmm. You know, just... you yeah, the best. Well, I'm glad you stopped by, and, and um, I was going to see you anyway. Yeah. Because you texted her, like, hey, I'm in town, and I was like, wow, that's good. Like, well, she, I'm going to know the Amy Monday. It's so you Amy and the yeah. girls... And I was like, well, I can't do that. Well, Tuesday night, I'm here. And I was like, it's so last minute, but I got to find some space. And so...
1: I literally had two hours open this afternoon. I'll have
0: two this hours was- open this week. And I was like, <laughs> "I was like, can she come then?" <laughs> this is all I got. And I said, obviously, I want to see her and talk to her, but I also want to talk with her because I think your career itself yeah. is very interesting. I think your Fun. story and your journey through cancer is um, extremely compelling but it's also encouragement to others and the fact that you remain this positive force and it's not always positive honestly nothing right but you still remain you know this but then your overall story of all of it like i just think people are going to take so much from this in so many ways i'm grateful that you did it and you did this i'm just so thankful and you know i love you and and same with robert and thank you for having me are you kidding for asking me to do awesome
1: it's been a um You know, I didn't used to talk about this stuff so openly, but I think it's important. And I think it's important, especially in the world and all the craziness that's happening in our world, you know, to use whatever platform we have to share love and joy and kindness and compassion. And um, everybody's going through something and they just need just a little kindness.
0: Well, thank you for your time. It's been awesome. All right. There she is. I appreciate it. Leslie Simon, everybody. Bobby Bones. You don't have to do that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you to Leslie for coming by. Uh, that was a, uh, an amazing episode. Again, let me remind you: Leslie's being honored by the American Cancer Society Hope Gala in August, and she's currently raising money for cancer research and patient programs. You can find that link in the episode notes of this podcast. Five bucks, ten bucks, whatever you can. That would be awesome. Hopefully, you were moved by this. Click that to donate in her honor or in honor or memory of a loved one that has also battled cancer. Thank you, guys.